Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Lewis, screenwriter and producer. I'm Jenny Jijong, culture writer and critic. This week we are discussing The Diplomat and How to Blow Up a Pipeline, a series and a film about political manoeuvring, whether from the back room or from on the ground. Yeah, man. Jenny, I've missed you, hun. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a few weeks. I really, I really felt, I really felt it this time. I don't know why. <laughs> Without um, the, the weekly records, like, anchoring. Yeah, man. I mean, there was a part of me that was like, oh, thank God I don't have to edit. But, like, mostly yeah. I just miss chatting TV with you because I've been watching a lot. And I was like, I have mm. literally no one. Well, not no one, but my favorite person to talk about it is not here. Aww, so, um, thank you. <laughs> how was <laughs> the nature? How was it yeah. being up in the woods of America? Yeah. So, I, I went to Yosemite. I went to California and... Oh my gosh, like, let me just tell you, Yosemite is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, hands down, and and also a reminder of so many things, like national parks, the necessity of them, like how amazing being out there with Mother Nature is, Um, how beautiful California is also, just the terrain of it, and if you've ever been to, like, Big Sur, or the coastline, or or Point Reyes, or anywhere out out there on the best coast. I mean, I get it. I really get it. Yeah. I really sort of disconnected from everything. I didn't watch any TV. I was fairly online. Um, so, yeah, it was a nice reset. God, but, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I'm so sorry you're back to all this shite. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I feel very sad about it, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Helen, you had a very special uh, birthday, right? Can you tell us about that? And can everyone also wish Pellin happy birthday? Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, tourist season is definitely upon us. I've had a week. Um, it, it was great. It's been really nice. Like, I just, you know, I got some tiny tattoos for myself because it's like, a bit of a tradition like I do like to get a little bit of ink um around my birthday period and then um yeah I I had a really nice breakfast went to the Bronx Botanical Gardens also trying to get that nature injection you know Mm -hmm. um I'd never been there before so it was just beautiful and like I don't know if there's any Brits living in New York but if you miss home like if you miss the parks of home and the way they smell and how beautiful they are I cannot recommend Bronx Botanical Mm -hmm. enough I went in and I just like was just snorting everything. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it it was it was such a nice time. And it's been a really nice weekend in New York as well. So I've been having a great time. I'm glad it went so well for you. And once again, happy belated. Uh, Now, now pivoting to other things you've been up to. What did you watch for us this week, Fallon? This week, I watched The Diplomat, which is on Netflix. I have crushed this so i've watched the entire season Mm. um and it's been a while since i have and this is part of the part of the reason why i was like itching for you to come back so you can start watching this (laughs) um but this is a show that is created and show run by deborah khan the show itself the diplomat is a political and marital thriller series about kate weiler played by kerry russell a veteran diplomat who is minted U.S. ambassador to the U.K. and promptly finds herself embroiled in a shit show on the first day of work. So she's married to another ambassador, Hal, um, played by Rufus Sewell, and she kind of struggles to be the person in the spotlight as opposed to for- the like the force in the shadows, which is what she's used to. Mm-hmm. Especially when she was like meant to be going to Kabul to do meaningful work uh, before this position essentially forced her to do the song and dance of like manners and dresses. Mm-hmm. So. 
you started this, right? Yeah, I watched, yeah. Uh, I believe, four episodes. A little bit of background on uh, Deborah Khan, uh, the showrunner. She is a longtime award-winning TV writer. She established her career on The West Wing, went on to Grey's Anatomy for a couple of seasons. She uh, show ran the final two seasons of Homeland um, and wrote on a number of limited series, including one of my favorites, uh, Fosse Verdon, which she won an Emmy for. Mm -hmm. So um, for those of you that are longtime fans of The West Wing, like me, (laughs) um, you will immediately, with The Diplomat, recognize uh, the strength in the dialogue as well as like the wry tone that almost every character seems to employ. Um, I've got to say, it's been a while. It's been a minute. I've definitely missed it. You know, the West Wing really established the whole walk and talk, uh, really quick pace, like Sorkin dialogue. Um, and you really see a lot of that here. And another thing that I miss is Kerry Russell, man. You know, another se- series of TV that I loved and watched a lot was The Americans. I have rewatched that you know that entire thing like over and over again it was a real crutch for me during the pandemic mm. i've got to say mm-hmm. um and i i love her i obviously we we already know we love matthew reese um mm-hmm. they met on the show and got married Power couple it's truly brooklyn's finest um we love them so much but like as a massive fan of hers in the americans and i i truly believe that she should have gotten like at least three Emmys for that role because she was incredible. I really am happy to see her leading this as opposed to like sharing the stage with someone. Um, it is a show about marriage, but she's clearly the protagonist here. It's a real pleasure, man. She's so good. Um, and once again, she's kind of playing like an intuitive, intelligent woman, like very different, I think, to Elizabeth, her character in The Americans, but still there are parts of, th- there are seeds, I guess, that that are similar, which kind of talks to how... You know, like the the best actor kind of brings a little bit of themselves to every role. Um, and you kind of see this here too. So I've ranted, I've given context, mm-hmm. and now it's time to check in with you, Jenny. What do you mm-hmm. think of the four episodes that you've seen so far? So I have to say the show did kind of hook me or pull me in from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's pretty much like a fast paced, um, yeah, political kind of shenanigans like backroom dealing everything like that right at the beginning Mm -hmm. coupled with like these personal (laughs) very uh interpersonal issues as well um i i think there are some things that annoy me about this show but ultimately Mm -hmm. i'm having a pretty good time and it did really uh, you know clearly keep me watching for four hours straight last night so there's something about it that is appealing and making me want to keep going yeah, I think for me, I watched the first episode literally just for Kerry Russell because I was like, I haven't seen her really working. Um, she's done a couple of films, like I think a horror film and then like Cocaine Bear randomly. Um, <laughs> so I was like, okay, so she's having fun. Like she's having fun working again. Um, and I don't know if this is more like serious leaning or if this is just her trying to get a check. Gave one episode a go and I was like oh, this is reminding me of something. And then I Googled who the showrunner was and then saw that she had experience in the West Wing and I was like, yeah. oh, okay. So this is like, it's it's kind of like itching that that part of my brain that hadn't been itched for in a while. Um, it like just surprised me in terms of like the quality. Um, I just kind of kept going to see where it would take me. So uh, I've, I've read a lot of reviews, um, and they talk a lot about marriage. And, you know, I preface this, this part of the podcast by saying that this is a show about marriage. Um, 
I, I think like the Americans, um, again, like just a, uh, as, as for someone that didn't watch that, that was a show about like spies, um, but it's also a show about a family and a marriage. And in the, in this show, I guess, you know, you could say that marriage is like the canvas on which everything else is painted on. What did you think about these two? You know, Hal and, and Kate yeah. as a couple. Well, what a strange, what a strange relationship. Yeah. Um, but one that also seems to ring quite true in terms of the, how complicated and how, how different a marriage can become over time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and this is coming from someone who's not married, so I don't really know the ins and outs of, of that reality. No, you're a smart person that understands <laughs> and observes other people. Yeah, sure, that's kind of but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, on the one hand, you get the sort of exaggerated, you know, a dramatic narrative side of this, which is like, oh, you know, she doesn't trust him anymore because of all these things he's done, including um, this kind of disastrous thing in, in Afghanistan. But like mm-hmm. on a more sort of universal, like underlying emotive level, it is essentially like, you know, this is a very charismatic guy who simply has has lost her trust because he has done too many things and has established this pattern of things. And so that is like the core issue right here where yeah. they love each other, but she can't trust him even yeah. now. Um, so that's like yeah. something that I think can, you know, essentially does ring very true in this yeah. story of marriage. Uh, so I found that kind of fascinating and how it enforces itself into her political life because their political life and their marriage life are so intertwined. Yeah. I mean, there is an element of like, what does career mean in love? Like when you, you are both careerists, essentially when you both love your work and you both happen to be in the same field. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting because I think that is like very universal. There, there are times when like, even if you're not in the same field, there are times when one person in the couple is doing better than the other. And, yeah. Do you, do you feel you know, that competition almost? Or is it like, oh, no, it's it, fine. We're all on the same team. Well, I think it can't be helped. Like, I think at the end of the day, no matter how much you love someone, if you are making more money than the other person, then that just establishes a weird power dynamic, no matter yeah. what you do to kind of prevent that. Like, in my marriage, for example... Um, my husband makes a lot more money than I do and you know it doesn't mean anything really for us because you know he doesn't necessarily like the work that he does but like creatively for example like I feel very satisfied and I think he doesn't right now so it's like it's like all different things there's like money there's creativity it's like what do we like to do how do we like to spend our time and then like when the person that you love is doing so well you're super happy for them but at the same time, you feel like, oh, my God, like, what's missing in me? Like, why am I not making as much money? Why am I not as successful? Or why am I why am I not as, like, creatively fulfilled? Like, all of these things kind of play about because they have to. Like, think of how you are with, like, your best friend, for example. Like, if they're doing better than you, you love them and you want them to be amazing and, like, do the best that they can be. But that it does kind of do something, like, play a bit of a mirror onto yourself. So I, I kind of liked how this show plays with that idea in like the most extreme sense <laughs> where you know Hal is known to be and um, it's established pretty up top that he's like the favorite amongst people like he's the most charismatic like you said he's the most um likable he has been doing it on the spot in the spotlight for the for a longer time than Kay has because she's the force behind him mm-hmm. that is kind of helping him 
get to where he needs to go. She's the deputy. Yeah. He's um, been the he's been the hero in many people's eyes exactly. for very long. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what I liked quite a bit was how even to the viewer and you know Kate to everybody else on the show like all the other characters she's like he's not what you think he is like there, there's I know him in a way that you don't um and then like people start to see parts of Hal and she's like oh so now you're getting to know who what he's really like and a part of that is the way that he does seem to be like three four steps ahead of her at all times um trying to kind of do some gameplay and like figure out some kind of maneuver um not against her necessarily like it's usually for her but he just like keeps her in the dark a lot Mm -hmm. which i can imagine is very fucking annoying um especially when now that she's got this role where like obviously in general like in this industry integrity is kind of everything your reputation is everything so like the fact that he has a role in affecting her integrity is um you can you can see her getting frustrated and like being annoyed by it the the thing for me is i don't know how i feel about rufus sewell i've seen him a couple of times before i think he's a british actor actually i think so, um, yeah. yeah he's yeah because i've seen him a lot of british stuff and like the accent he's doing his best don't get me wrong um but it, it sounds very transatlantic at this point <laughs> but it, it, i just i i don't know like i guess because i've seen her with matthew reese who obviously they met, fell in love, and got married uh, during the American. So their chemistry was just off the fucking chain. Um, and I, I think it's unfair for me to compare this, but I don't know. I just kind of wished he was uh, gave a little bit more. Yeah, um, it's hard. He reads yeah. a little bit as like a, a cipher, right? Like he is his. He has such yeah, which a good, is the point. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's a point. Yeah. But he has such a good like impassive stone face. Um, you, yeah, you never really know what's sort of going on with him, which, yes, I, I, yeah. I'm getting that that is a point. And I think I have the notion from reading some spoilers that that will become more and more relevant um, and to the forefront as yes. the series progresses this season. Um, yes. But yeah, yeah. I, I get the sort of mixed feelings on, on Rufus Sewell's portrayal. Yeah. The, the thing that actually like interested me is how Kerry Russell personally probably navigated this because she is in a marriage with another actor they're both working um they both shared the stage together during the americans and he got an emmy she didn't i don't know there was just something interesting there that i was like oh i wonder if she's bringing a little bit of her own experience into this um so that that was like that interested me more in terms of the political shenanigans, <laughs> how did you feel about it? Like, how did how did you feel about like how it was kind of being spread out and laid out for you over the four episodes? Well, it's kind of fun. It reminded me, uh, maybe most like on surface level because of the vice president connection, but it reminded me of um, Veep mm, and like yeah. just how silly everything is in a, in a way. Um, yeah, like when you yeah. see it, and of course, I can't compare this to like real world politicking because i have no idea but i i trust that it is actually somewhat like this like everything has to go through 10 layers of of back and forth or like uh, you have to use so many euphemisms or excuses or covers and it just is all so bullshitty um yeah and so that very much was like it tickled a part of my my brain to see that to be like ah fucking hate yeah. this world but it's, I know. it's kind of it's it's like perfect for like a kind of soapy uh show or movie or something to portray yes yeah i mean 
for what it's worth, I, I think there's a lot of liberties taken with the speed in which everything happens mm. on the show, which of course it has to. It's a fucking TV show. It's trying to like keep your attention. But I think it is pretty accurate about how like diplomacy works. Not the speed, but just like the, the, the work itself. Like for anyone that doesn't know, I have a degree in political theory and then I have a degree in international relations. And I tried very hard for a couple of years after graduating to like pursue a career in this field, like in international mm. politics, in diplomacy. Um, in the end, I, I didn't want to do it anymore because I think well, thank it, God. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. Uh, because yeah, no. Um, as I studied, as I realized like in, <laughs> Because a lot of a lot of my degree is just, you know, you study what happened in the past and there just seems to be like a lot of thankless endeavors. And I just kind of didn't want to get involved in that. And I think there's a part um, in this season uh, where Kerry Russell says that like diplomacy is just like talking over and over and over again and like constantly trying and it not working until like maybe it does basically. So that part is true. I think the the way that you have to really think like 10 steps ahead before you do any tiny thing um is absolutely true um it's very very shit like it's just it's silly that people can't just like get in a room and talk but it's just handling a lot of personalities and handling information in a way that just takes like a very very light touch um i read a a guardian piece that interviewed a bunch of diplomats um in this field oh, to see what they thought of the show that's fine um yeah, and a lot of them were like, yeah, there's no way that she would be talking to that many important people that quickly. Like, it's, it's, you wouldn't even get that in an entire career. Like, so, um, that was funny, but I think a lot of them did agree that it's good to kind of shine a light on what it looks like for the people that talk their way through these crises, um, and have to. And that's kind of like where the real power lies, essentially. Uh, but yeah, they, they were all like, yeah, this is a very, very, very like dramatized version. Like you don't really talk to secret service as much, um, as well either. So, um, yeah, that was, that was interesting to see. Um, I want to quickly move on to, uh, Kate as a character and the way that Kerry Russell plays her. What did you think of her? Like, how do you feel about Kerry Russell in this role? I think there's a lot to like about her. Like she plays Kate as a hyper competent woman and diplomat and, you know, career officer, they say, which I think really comes across. I will say, if I'm being nitpicky, there is one aspect of Kate and how she's written, I think, and how that's paired with uh, someone who looks like Carrie Russell that is yeah, slightly yeah. bugs me, which is the, yeah. I guess, I don't know, I guess Gen Z or, or teens nowadays, they would call me a slight a, a slight pick me attitude or, or in, in older mm. parlance, maybe millennial parlance is a little bit like yeah. the, I'm not like other girls, uh, mentality, yeah. which I think yeah. is pretty much when it comes, to, you know, you forget about it most of the time until it comes yeah. to something about hair or makeup or clothes or, or yeah. shoes. And then it comes yeah. like rain out in full force. And it's like, what yeah. the, the sixth time after they've done it, then you're like, okay, this is getting kind of old. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last, in the entire season, like the last time she took her heels off frustratedly, I was like, okay, we get it. She'd prefer <laughs> to be barefoot and she's so above this femme shit. Like she hates the performance. And like, yeah, sure. Like whatever that character might be like that, but we'd already, like, it's like repeated beats. Like we'd already 
understood that. We know what she's like. It would be better for us to imagine that she's frustrated about wearing the heels and still wears them as opposed to like constantly taking them off. But no, you're right, especially because it's Kerry Russell. Like she's gorgeous. Yeah, um, it's hard to. She ignore was picked that. because she's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I really liked chemistry, the way that chemistry works. Like I know we talked about Rufus Sewell. There is a little bit of chemistry between them, but it doesn't compare to the chemistry between Kerry Russell and David Gyasi, who plays yes. Orson Dennison, who's the foreign secretary. The scene work with them was electric. Like I, I, I'm really curious about the order in which they shot these scenes. I, I, I couldn't tell if, like it would have been really smart if they shot the scenes where they were like admitting their feelings to each other um, and then shot the initial scenes where they meet each other and like initially don't like each other at all but i really i really felt the sexual tension between them am i alone in this do you agree no no no. i feel it like four episodes in i just got to the part where they have that moment up close um but even yeah. before that you could feel kind of the i mean it's a little bit of the the old like prickly like um you know we don't like each other or like Right. Um, to like hate love or kind of thing. Yeah. Although like very never pride and prejudice. So, yeah. I yeah. never went yeah. as far as hate, for example. But yeah. um, definitely there is an electricity. There is a smolder. There is a chemistry. Yeah. I could see this coming from a mile away. And, you know, this is part of the soapy element of the show. Like, there, of course, there has to be a yeah. some romantic entanglement. There has to be kind of a love triangle mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know structurally if I'm a fan of it, but purely like on a chemistry level between these two th- actors and characters, like, yeah, it yeah. makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah. There's no way that there's this many good looking people that run these kinds of like higher offices, <laughs> especially on the UK and like, we're all fucking ugly. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> I, should, I should take a look at, uh, parliament. Um, but no, I, I, I think like, you know, we complain all the time that there is like zero chemistry on screen. And I was just like, finally, like some good fucking food. And I will say, like, I think David Gersey would make uh, an amazing James Bond if, mm, he, if yeah. he ever it was in the running for it. Like just the stature, the way he wears a suit, gorgeous man, like truly yeah. beautiful man. Um, I also really liked Otto Ascendo, who plays Stuart, her deputy. He's a TV actor that's been in a bunch of stuff. I've, I've seen him countless times and i'm really enjoying what he's doing here just because he's like really working the dialogue really understands like how instrumental he is to kate and i I love his like anxieties and insecurities about like his role with her and you know that character we've seen it a lot in the west wing too um where it's the guy that makes the like the kingmakers. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of those in the West Wing, and I really enjoy that person. And I, I love the rom- the secondary romance between him and Ali An's character. Um, they're really cute. There's like a really really beautiful scene that you haven't seen yet where he picks her up, and it's just it's just amazing. Um, so yeah, I think you know overall, all in all, this is to me a truly like rock solid season of tv it's helmed by an experienced tv writer who clearly knows pacing who really knows how to do scene work and brings it all together the ending annoyed me a little bit but it's forgivable because it i just honestly had like a really really good time all right jenny so you didn't watch much these last two weeks but what did you watch that you want to talk about yeah. So a while ago, actually last month, I watched How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which is playing in th- some theaters, I think still. Uh, it's also available VOD, so you can rent it to stream online. It's an action thriller. It's directed by Daniel Coldhaber. It's co-written by Goldhaber as well as Ariella Bear and Jordan Scholl. 
this is based on the Swedish author and academic Andreas Malm's 2021 book of the same name. That one was a nonfiction like manifesto of sorts, um, basically arguing that property destruction and sabotage, not pacifism and peaceful protests are what environmental justice demands in the face of climate change. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what the film did is it took that ethos and that call to action and it basically knitted a fictional story out of it. Uh, so in this film, it's about a group of eight young people who come together to blow up an oil pipeline in West Texas. And I'm going to quickly run through those uh, eight different characters, just so you yeah. have an idea of who they are. So we have Sochi, who's played by Ariella Bearer, who is one of the co-writers of the film. So she's a college student whose mother died from a heat wave that is attributed to climate change. We have Theo played by Sasha Lane. Uh, so she's Sochi's best friend whose health has been affected. Um, I'll put that in vague terms by the oil refineries they grew up surrounded by. We have Alicia played by Jamie Lawson, who's Theo's girlfriend who chooses to support Theo in her pursuit, despite um, some fundamental like philosophical differences in you know, their approach to justice mm. and, and stuff like that. Yeah. We have Michael, played by Forrest Goodluck, who is a self-taught bomb maker who cannot accept his tribe and his mother's sort of resignation to having their ancestral lands taken over by oil fields. We have Sean, played by Marcus Scribner, so she's a fellow college student who is frustrated by the lack of action in response to climate change. We have mm-hmm. Dwayne, played by Jake Reary, who is uh, kind of an ostensibly conservative Christian Texas man who is nevertheless angry that the pipeline is encroaching on his property and poisoning the land. And then finally, we have Logan, played by Lucas Gage, and Rowan, played by Christine Froseth, uh, two like vaguely punk vagabonds um, yeah like portland's finest you know. yeah who yeah. are <laughs> they're they're a couple they've sort of been wandering up and down the coast um and they are also involved in this project so the film kicks off pretty close to the action we begin getting thrown in like right into the mission prep everyone grouping together all that things uh, there's not a whole lot of like belabored explanation or backstory to begin with and then how it's structured is as the film progresses those gaps are filled in we we get the flashbacks we get all of the characters backstories or motivations how they got to this point and that is sort of how the film unfolds from that front mm-hmm. so yeah. pellen what did you think of this movie just like as a top line and then what did you think of this sort of interesting construction? I love a heist movie. We love heist movies, right? In terms of construction in general, just the way that they're formatted. And this reminded me a lot of a heist movie. And I, mm-hmm. I think many critics have, have noted that as well. I thought it was fine. I thought this, I thought this film was fine. I think I liked how I f- felt during most of the film, especially with regards to being thrown into the action especially with regards to just the plan, the execution of the plan itself. If you guys liked Breaking Bad's episode where they try to steal a whole bunch of stuff from a moving train, that that episode in Breaking Bad, I think this is extremely up your alley because it's how the tension is built. It's just executing the plan, making sure that they, that, that happens. What tripped me up were the, were the context scenes. Like Again, like something that's very, very familiar to any heist movie lover is how the team was assembled essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, those scenes were where I, 
uh, I faltered a little bit. Um, yeah, so, I totally yeah. get that. I mean, the the way that the film is constructed, which is, as you say, it's it's very typical of heist films. So they do have this thing of how the team got together, why these people are here. And obviously this serves both to, it adds like dimension and interest to what otherwise would be just like a very straightforward, like, you know, mm-hmm. they did X, Y, Z um, to, to pull off this heist. But it also is meant to create a better understanding. And, and in this case, specifically to elicit a lot more sympathy for why these yeah. characters would do this, why they would yes. be involved in what some might call is some light eco-terrorism. Um, it's definitely trying to, I think, widen the potential appeal um, to mm-hmm. the audience members because, yeah. you know, uh, probably they weren't thinking like, all right, let's just get all the socialists and like eco-terrorists and like environment people in here. We want to get uh, a wider net of people to see yeah. this film and maybe be kind of intrigued by these ideas or the potential yeah. of what's presented here. So I get that choice. I think some of the backstories that the context, the reasoning seem much more salient than others. Some mm-hmm. of them were, were pretty weak. I'll be honest. If, if yeah. we're trying to see the connection for why these characters would do it, but that raises an interesting question, I think, which is uh, something that the New York times review of this film brought up which is that um, as the review wrote a truly radical film wouldn't go out of its way to concoct sympathetic motives so that reviewer actually thought it was a little bit too neat in how it was trying to fit these people into these boxes of sympathy to be like well we need you to see that you know because this person's mother died from this that's why they're interested in this or because this person you know was impacted in this way you know that's why what drove them to uh, this more radical act. So, yeah. so what do you think of that idea, Helen? Like, you know, that sort of tension between, you know, what we as movie critics and like movie enjoyers yeah. would like to see narratively from these characters and their context and the backstories versus what, as a political act, like is relevant um, for this kind of radical project. I totally agree with that New York Times assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest frustration was how neat and tidy the whole thing mm-hmm. felt. Yeah. There's um a lot of critics have also brought up, or, or a lot of people have also brought up Kelly Reichardt's film Night Moves, which is also about eco terrorism. It's about you know three characters getting together to also blow up something. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't go so well for them, and they all have a crisis <laughs> by the end, and they all kind of like lose their minds a little bit. And that I think. At the time, a lot of climate activists resented that film for showing it that way um, because it didn't work out for them, really. And yeah. it felt like a deterrent. But the difference is that, you know, there was something very human about how, you know, what it takes to kind of go through with something like this. Um, the thing is, in that film, something went wrong. And in this film, everything ostensibly goes right. And yeah. or small that, things, it, small things go wrong, but ultimately yeah. nothing like everything works you know, out. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't go off course. Yeah. Truly, right? Yeah, and I, I think that's fine. It's just that with regard to the reasoning of each character and why they did what they did, it felt like they reached for the first idea that they came up with like when they when they were going through each character in terms of like writing the script and then like all right so why would he want to do this and then why would he want to get involved and why would he want to 
And it's like, they were like, well, his mother died. And then, or like her mother died. And then she's about to die. And then, you know, he's, his land is being stolen. This guy's native. And like, it all, it, it's yeah, fine. It's a little it's just bit, that, a little bit easy. Too easy. And yeah. there could have been a way to have a, a believable reason that was just a little bit more complicated that would have texturized this film so much more and would have made it feel ultimately true to life in that it's complicated. These things are complicated. The reason why someone wants to get involved in terrorism in general is not a simple cut clear answer there's like a whole bunch of like human elements to it in terms of like the type of person that they are and i think there wasn't enough character work i think the reasons why they got involved did all the heavy lifting for all of these characters and i would feel more invested and i would think that there was a lot more like it sounds mean but like intelligence behind the script if there was a little bit more character work if there was a little bit more like feeling of like why this personality does this not because of what happened to them but because of who they are yeah Do you know what not I mean? because yeah. of the um sort of s- backstory archetype or stock that they get but more about them as a person i get that and i get the complaint that it's a little too neat it's a little too slick it's a little too wrapped up tight you know nice yeah. in a bow i think i admired the amount of thrill and tension that they got out of this i yeah, admire the totally. road bumps that they got along the way like i imagine it is harder to translate this heist the subject for the screen for the audiences like at the end of the day probably a lot of it is like more tedious steps of here's joining together two parts to get a bomb or yeah. here's transporting materials so yeah. the little hiccups they put in along the way i thought were nice i think they needed those and i think i was also actually genuinely surprised by the real twist, not the fake out twist. Mm-hmm. Mm, but yeah. yes, I had a problem, I think, with the too neat ending. It was yeah. It was neat in a sense how they pulled it off, but it was also just like literally, it was too neat. Nevertheless, I will say, despite all of this like caveats and like qualifying, there was something about this film that I found emotionally pretty impactful or i'll say like as as the credits rolled and i sat there in the theater it was just like silent i think a lot of people probably felt similarly and it was like Mm -hmm. a pretty empty theater there weren't that many people there either (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it was just almost the sense of like being stunned in silence or like thinking about what just played on screen like being punched in the gut a little bit you know just like the the fact of showing this on screen and showing this in a in a very sympathetic light Mm -hmm. i don't know i found something about it pretty moving Um, yeah it raises an interesting question too about like art versus political slash real world impact yeah you know we've we've talked about this before definitely right like especially i think uh, recently we talked about like andor for example and the debate about that online and here, yeah. I like the touch they included with the documentary film project, how Sean, mm-hmm. he comes to see how basically like uh, toothless and kind of useless this, this yeah. awareness slash inspiration aim stuff is. Like, yeah. instead of doing anything to actually help this guy whose land is being overtaken by an oil pipeline, the documentary yeah. crew is like, you know, I'm sorry, man, we're just trying to trying to raise awareness and showing everyone what's going on. Like, yeah. that is the, I think for a lot of artists and people who make art, like, that is a frustration, right? Like, yeah. can what we produce 
actually do anything or change anything. And right, yeah, I don't know yeah. what side of the divide you fall in, Pelham, but at this point, I have, I, I think I'm at the point where it's like, yeah, probably we won't actually be able to do anything like art or awareness aim stuff. Like ultimately, it is just that it like it gets something out there, but nothing really happens after that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, this uh, film would also be an example of that, right? Well, exactly. And I think it's it's always been tough because you never know what awareness really means. I think there's, you know, there's a reason why, like, for example, during war, a lot of countries, many countries in the past have invested so much into their film yeah, industry. propaganda. For propaganda. Like, it does affect, it obviously does have power. Um, yeah, and I, I think, guess so. I think it, it is... It's tough, I think, in this generation, in this time that we're in, because we have so much, uh, that there seems to be so much of a cognitive dissonance between like watching something and feeling a certain way and having your thoughts put out there and actual action. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. actual protest, actual activism. And I think this is where my cynicism comes in uh, a little bit. And I wish it didn't. And I, I hate this about myself, honestly, is that feeling of like, I don't, I think a lot of people, feel good about just saying what they think um or having their ideology shown to people through whether it's their art or what their thoughts on twitter or whatever it might be Um, and then when it comes to like ultimately like real community work i don't know if everybody has the balls (laughs) because i think there's just something scary about Mm -hmm. actually doing something like what this film you know and what the, the book itself talks about which is uh proactive like uh, destruction of property or like actually having to like confront people and and challenging them um and that's what i i have a little bit of um i I don't know i don't know if this generation has that and what's interesting is you know this movie has a lot of young actors in this um the Mm -hmm. co-writer is like what 25 you know yeah she and the, the the one who plays sochi and there's someone from Euphoria on here. Like, I, f- I found it interesting that they had someone from Blackish on here who, you know, on Blackish, he grew up as a kid on Blackish and, like, is now in this film. And all, like, the, the choice in casting is interesting here. And yeah, very Gen Z. Very Gen. And there's, like, one adult in, in there, you know, um, mm-hmm. who's the landowner. And <sighs> maybe the kids will be all right. Maybe I'm just being cynical for the sake of being cynical, which happens as you get older. It was just my birthday. I'm in my mid thirties. Like who's to say, you know, like, I, I don't know. It's just that I think with this film, it was very apparent to me that they wanted this film to be watched and for it to give hope. And that's absolutely fine. Ultimately, I think like, this this film was clearly made to encourage people and i think like what you said about the ending where you were kind of felt stunned i think there was a part of me that also felt quite stunned because i was like oh they just they did it like they they did it they completed it exactly the way they wanted to mm-hmm. i don't know i think i think there there was something that like emotionally was missing here and it's something that we talked about with andor in terms of like what does that mean? Like what hit with us with Andor wasn't what they did. It's just how they felt as they were doing it. And that was w- what was missing with this for me. And I wish it just had a little bit more of that because then it would have been more impactful. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, in terms of like art and politics and I, I, there's no, there's nothing wrong with this. I think you can always 
make these types of films it's just ultimately if you really want to get under the skin of people i think there's like one one further step that you need to take which is just humanity and human behavior and like why do we why are we politically involved in some things and not in others you know like what is missing in us in our psychology as people because that's ultimately what it comes down to and that's what you need to work with and that's what good writing is and that's what like really understanding character really is um so i think like I mean, I sound frustrated and it's it's like, I think there's a part of me that was just frustrated that it could have been just a little bit better. And it and it's, again, like a critique that you can have to me where it doesn't have to be perfect. It's just good that it exists. And I think ultimately, yes, like, I think it's good that like this both film can, exists. Both can be true, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it, in terms of like art and its power with politics, like, who fucking knows, man? Like, I don't know people anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't know yeah. society anymore. I mean, who's, <laughs> like, just, who's to say this won't inspire the next generation of yeah, 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 and yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's cool too. Like, yeah, um, it is, it is. FBI, if you're listening to this, please disregard everything we just said. It, it is interesting, for example, that the fact that FBI did were watching who was like going. To yeah, see they this were film. like actually like flagging it as some like something to pay attention to yeah which which is funny i I think it's good like that's good yeah that's a good sign for this film yeah if if the fbi is paying attention you're probably doing something right this week in culture we are giving a little shout out to the writer's strike which is ongoing um obviously we are pro labor on this podcast pro union every time baby yep yeah, we are pro strike in general. Um yes. but yeah, the the writers guild, they have been striking. Yeah. It is a big thing and it's going to impact everyone who watches TV and, and and film and stuff like that. Yeah. Um but more importantly, it's about what people are making and how their livelihoods are going to continue. So Yeah. Yeah, so um for those of you that don't know, and don't know what's going on with this uh you might remember in 2007 there was a writer's strike that affected a lot of tv that was coming out around that time there were a lot of seasons of tv that could have been better but weren't because there weren't writers (laughs) to write them so we we're back here again you know six years ago they uh also were about to strike but a deal was formed and, and made in the last minute this time around may 2nd uh no deal which means strike and I'm a part of Writers Guild East, uh, Writers Guild of America East, and this is for the Writers Guild of America, both East and West. They're, they are on strike. Um, they are striking, uh, or rather they're negotiating with the AMTPT, which is the, the Producers Guild, and they are negotiating on, on behalf of the studios, which do the paying. Um, so what they're striking against, um, or what they're striking about rather, is that with streaming and with TV streaming, there's just been a real breakdown of how writers are paid, how much they're being paid, how continual their work is, um, how long each gig is. And it's turned more into a gig economy, obviously. Like writers are freelancers, essentially. Um, and they are employed per, sh- like with every show that they're on, they are employed in the writer's room that they write for. And the difference is, is that before they used to get residuals because there would be uh, a syndication with each show that they'd be on. So every time the show aired, no matter where it was aired, they would get a little bit of money and they'd get like a nice little check every time. And that has completely broken down because of streaming, because they essentially play a one-time residual. And that just means that the writers don't get shit. (laughs) So if you wrote like an episode of TV 
that was incredible and amazing um, very recently. You got your one check for that. And it doesn't matter how many times it got screened on which platform, uh, that was all you would get. I will say, I think there's a lot of misconception with how much writers are paid, and it really isn't that much, especially if you are a writer in a writer room and not a showrunner. And, you know, like, for example, if you're a feature writer, you write a feature script for like two, three years, and you might get it bought for like 50 grand, but that's that's three years of work for 50 grand. You know, it, re- it really isn't as much as people think. Like Hollywood is not as sexy <laughs> as it once was. The The most interesting point is I think the way that a lot of streaming services uh, with their, you know, huge output have um, started relying not so much on traditional writer's rooms, wh- which last months and months and months. And um, they are around their colleagues and experienced showrunners to kind of tell them how to do the work. But instead... What they do is like break out into mini rooms, which is like three or four people and it's a shorter term. So they like bash out a script in a really short amount of time. And then like what ends up happening is you might have written a beautiful script or have like produced a bunch of scripts, but you don't have the experience of being on set. You don't have the experience of like writing episodic TV, um, where it's like 20, 30 episodes where, where structure is everything. Like, for example, we talked about the diplomat. We talked about Deborah Khan. Deborah Khan is grew up in the previous world like her career grew up in the previous world of episodic TV and bashing them out. Like she was on the West wing, which is like true training grounds for any kind of writer. It's not like that really anymore. Like there's the the, the newest showrunners don't have that kind of experience or body of work behind them. And that's kind of what they're also arguing for is like, you want to have a sturdy career. You want to be able to like produce good work over like 20, 30 years or however long you stay in this industry. And it's just not setting you up for success. So I support my fellow writers completely. Um, I was picketing outside the Netflix offices. It was really, really exciting to see everybody on Twitter there. Nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everyone was having a great time. Um, but picketing is continuing. I think um, it might last a really long time. I think I'm really proud of all the writers for just kind of like bringing this to the forefront and making sure that people with like really deep pockets that make a shit ton of fucking money um, just cough it up a little bit more and spread the wealth, you know? So that is it from us this week. Just to know, I know we just came back, but we are going to be off next yeah. week as well. It's my Sorry. fault. It's my fault. No, I'm, I'm, everyone I'm gonna needs be out. vacation. Yeah. <laughs> we just, we happen to, to stagger our vacations. That's yes. fine. Yes. Um, but enjoy this week's episode. Enjoy Succession Watch, which has been continuing and will continue next week as well. But we should be back the following week and we'll continue rolling on. So in the meantime, if you are watching anything that you think we should check out, and there's a lot of stuff out there right now. We know. We know. We're trying to get to it all. Can I just say that I am watching uh, Mrs. Davis and I'm also almost done with Dead Ringers. So if you guys have started that, keep going. We will probably talk about it at some point in the coming weeks. Yes. Um, Anyway, email us at criticismisdead at gmail.com or add us, DM us, criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram for extended show notes, including links to everything we've been talking about and more. Check out our newsletter, criticismisdead.substack.com. Right, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, five stars only, please. Tell a friend about us, tweet about us, whatever you want. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you the week after next. Yes. Criticism is Dead is produced by Penny Keskin Liu and Jenny Jusha. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.